Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the Food Fan, here at Food Fan Headquarters with another exciting episode of Asheville Food Fans. It is a podcast that I do throughout the week, and then I string it together for broadcast on WPVM 103.7 FM, the progressive voice of the mountains, here in beautiful Asheville, Western North Carolina. Everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the food fan here at Food Fan Headquarters, and I am joined today by Jennifer Hampton from AFBU, which stands for the Asheville Food and Beverage United. And Jennifer is here to give us some updates on what they've been up to. And Jennifer, how are you doing today? Hi, Stu. I'm doing pretty great. Thanks for having me on again. Sure thing. Really appreciate it. The weather here in Asheville has been real nice, huh? I mean, I'm a cold weather person, so it's dropped a lot. You're making a face like you're yeah. not that into it. You're a warm weather very, person? I am very much a warm weather person. Once it gets below 70, I feel like I'm just going to die. Dang, <laughs> it's like down in the 40s already up in I here. Know. Yeah, oh, well, I I'm know. sorry to hear that. It'll be hot again next year. Next year. I'll, next year. I'll be all right. I've got some great hoodies. So oh, it's I'm wearing a hoodie right now. It's hoodie season. That's one of the things I love the most about cold weather. I do get down on that. Yeah, yes. yeah. All right. Well, um, let's talk about some of what you've got going on. I happen to know because I'm always talking to the restaurant people and anybody who doesn't know this isn't paying attention. Parking is always at the top of the list of things that are an issue for downtown workers because it's expensive and it starts to really take a bite out of your paycheck. So give us some updates on that. It sure does take a bite. Um, yeah, so I was I started canvassing, talking to workers about other issues downtown, especially. And then I found out how big of a problem parking is. And so we started a petition. We gathered over 2,200 signatures in just about two weeks. Wow. And I know it, it just blew up. It, yeah. it went wild and it had a couple of effects. It really got more people engaged in our movement, which is amazing. We've increased our core group of active um, activists from about 10 people to just over 70. Um, our general membership since the petition, it was around 200 people and now it's over 1800 people. Wow. So yeah, it's, That's it's really huge, had... huge leap. Wow. <laughs> huge. Congratulations on that. Thanks. It's been a lot of hard work, but it's it's really paying off now. It, it really is. So, yeah, so we, we did that. And then we had a rally on September 6th to support this petition and us as we took the petition over to the Buncombe County Board of Commissioners to demand that they do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, so and we started with them because they do own a couple of parking decks and it seemed like an easier route than the city to start with. Okay. So why is that? Why did you feel like the county was easier? Well, for two reasons. One, because Brownie Newman actually reached out to us when he heard about the petition and had a meeting and said, let's, we can help you. Okay. We have some easy things that we can do. So let's get it started. And then that would put pressure on the city and it's more complicated to get it done through the city. So we figured we'll start with the county first and get that pressure really rolling. Okay. And Brownie is a member of the county commissioners? Yeah, he's the chairman of the county commissioners. Okay. So. Yeah. Brownie's been a big part of our local political scene ever since I moved to Asheville about 17 years ago. So um, it's really cool that he reached out to you. Like, that's kind of unprecedented. Usually they yeah. seem to be like, we don't want to talk about it. Um, so that's great. And so the county has been helpful. Keep on going. Tell us more. Yes. Okay. So we've been in talks with them and we're going, we have a survey that we put out on our website through the county. Um, they need to gather more demographic information just to make sure that their proposal is equitable in a, from a human rights standpoint. Okay. Um, but the proposal that they have and that we've agreed to as a starting point is going to be a $40 monthly pass for downtown workers that only can be applied for by workers um, so that businesses can't just buy up the whole thing. Okay. Um, and it's only going to be, it's a pilot program. It'll probably start next month. I mean, November, I'm sorry. And it'll be just the Cox Avenue deck to start with. And if okay. it's successful, then it's going to probably go over to the College Street lot um, deck and then some of the surface lots that they have. 
So nice. that's where we're at. Yeah. It's, All it's right. Good and start. For, yeah, that's a great start. For one thing, um, for people who maybe are not familiar with downtown Nashville so much, Cox Avenue uh, County parking deck is right there, right in the right middle there. of downtown, pretty much like real close to like Thirsty Monk, to just to mm -hmm. put it in perspective for people who know our beer scene. Um, and so that's a big deal to get that. And I was wondering this myself, Jennifer, and maybe you know the answer to this, maybe not. Um, is the county a little easier to deal with because their parking decks are essentially empty after 5 p.m.? Um, that's one reason. Um, they do. They are very much underused for the most part, those two mm -hmm. decks. Mm -hmm. um, and the other reason that it's easier is because the funding from... For instance, in contrast to the city, the parking fees that the city collects on their properties funds transit. Okay. So we have to be more creative because we certainly don't want to take funding away from transit because our ultimate goal is really to expand transit. Okay. Oh, that's so great. This, yeah. So the county is just has less um, hoops to jump through. Okay. Um, that's fantastic. But I will mention real quick about that. We had a meeting, a couple of us and myself with Mayor... Um, Esther Mannheimer mm -hmm. last week and she did let us know that our efforts and our dealing with the county on this issue has really shamed them into starting the process of doing something too. Wow. Yeah. That's I was, I was, <laughs> kind of a big deal. Kind wow, of a the big city deal. was embarrassed that they yes. weren't stepping up to this, can I just say it, like a decade long mm -hmm. complaint of the downtown yeah. workers. Like we're being squeezed out of this out of this town because mm -hmm. we can't afford to live downtown we can't afford to park downtown there's no public transit to get us downtown and the, the city from my point of view and i'm a pedestrian so parking doesn't affect me but it affects everybody i know um from my point of view the city has given that a big old shrug like oh, oh nothing can be done about that um so mm -hmm. now they have been shamed all yes. right. So keep going. Tell us more. <laughs> right on. So so she um, said that she's going to commission a study and find out how many spaces they have available and where they can shift things around to make it happen. So we're pretty confident that they're going to do something. Great. You know, I don't know exactly what, but they're going to do something. And we've got an air involved in Asheville Downtown Association been meeting with them. So they're all on board with trying to help us get this, get this through. That's great. That's a great yes. coalition. Oh my God. You've got the mm -hmm. city and the County working with the workers and air is an owner's association. So yep. you've got the workers, the owners and the local government all working together to solve this problem. And Jennifer, I just said that it's been like a problem for a decade or more, but um, it seems like as soon as, AFBU started working on it, things started to happen pretty quickly. You must be pretty happy about that. Really happy. Um, this past year or so that we've been organizing has been, you know, real slow going and at times frustrating because we sure. haven't seen any results. But then once we picked up this issue and said, oh, this is something that I think we can all get around and, and do together. Mm -hmm. it, it's been huge. It's, it's really, um, rewarding to see so many people coming together around this issue and it's you know and it's exciting because it's also giving people a feeling of like we can win we can yeah. actually come together and do something and make a difference you know exactly. so it's empowering and everybody's pretty excited about it perfect um this is great news a lot of this is news to me so i'm hearing it for the first time right now so it's fantastic news. And I just want to say to anybody who parks downtown that isn't a downtown worker, like visitors and stuff, and you might be thinking, oh, man, unfair. Um, just consider this. The parking on the streets is going to be a lot easier if the workers aren't taking up extra parking spaces on the streets and in the paid parking uh, garages, which are not expensive if you don't have to do it every day for an eight hour shift, you know, um, exactly. it's, it's relatively cheap to park downtown if you're just visiting. And if the workers have county garages and flat lots to park in, then that's going to free up so much more space for the people of Asheville to come downtown and go to the restaurants and such. So I think it's a win, win, win. Um, 
And Jennifer, anything else about the parking situation you want to talk about before we move on? Um, not really. The only thing I'll add to that is I, I briefly mentioned it before, but a huge part of our um, agenda is also to get expanded transit, you know, late night yes. service, um, more, more frequent service, because that also would not only alleviate parking, it would go a long way to helping the environment. So. Indeed. And, and real cities have real transit. That's something I yes. like to say, man. Real cities have real transit. And part of that is because as downtown becomes more desirable real estate, apartment rents go up and the people who work downtown just can't afford to live right next to where they work anymore. And they still mm -hmm. want to work downtown because that's where the money is. And then they end up driving. That costs a lot of money. And they clog up the streets. They take up the parking spaces, la-di-da. So public transit is just so much needed and how, how can afbu affect that what are you doing to affect that who are you talking to well um just economics is one of the biggest advocates in this area for better buses they have a campaign better buses together nice. so um yeah we they've been working on that since 2014 and they have had several wins they're the ones who got us sunday bus service nice um and and i'm sorry i'm missing some of their details now but we're working with Just Economics um, on that and city council. We also are planning to go to the TDA because they have a lot of money. Yes, and do. some of that could go to support the infrastructure that supports tourism. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, we're, we're exploring all of these issues and trying to find out who can make these changes happen so that we can actually work with them and put pressure on them to do so. Well, that seems to be one of the skill sets of you and AFBU is finding those people to work with, which is so important. You can complain into the wind forever, but if you're not working with the right people, and if you're perhaps even alienating the right people by being mm -hmm. aggressively belligerent about your complaints, then you're just never going to get anywhere. And this is, again, you and I discussed this. This is the point of a union. This is what yeah. unions do. They find other entities to negotiate with to make things happen for individuals because it's hard for individuals to make things happen um That's so right. fantastic Taking work. A collaborative approach is is important it's important to be collaborative and am, amicable mm -hmm. yeah amicable i agree people at least at first yeah you got to be strong <laughs> you can't be a pushover because they will try to push us over because they've got a million excuses why they don't want to do stuff you know and hey those excuses can be legit but you can't let that get in the way of what needs to happen this this parking and transit situation it's not like oh the workers are they want that you know we want that because we deserve it or we're entitled or whatever it's crucial to our economy that the people who work downtown can afford to work downtown Right. Seems like, logical to me. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, real cities solve problems like that with transit and parking. And our city is small enough that we can still achieve things, I believe. Absolutely. Yeah. Right on. Jennifer, you got anything else on the AFBU agenda that you've been working on? Yeah, actually, we have been working hard collaborating with some other organizations in the area, um, which is what we do. Mm -hmm. And we've come up with a couple of exciting training opportunities that are coming up next month. Um, the first one is a worker power workshop, which is going to be hosted by Raise Up the South, which is a coalition of low-wage workers fighting for change for low-wage workers in the South Um so they have a workshop to teach people how to organize, how to have organizing conversations with their coworkers, how to form an organizing committee. And this is going to be tailored specifically to the food and beverage industry, because as you know, organizing restaurant workers is a whole different beast than organizing factories or you know, other industries. Mm -hmm. We have different needs. So they have been working hard to tailor that to us. And that's going to be on October 18th. It's free. It's going to be, I, I believe, 2 to 6 p.m. And food will be provided. And you'll walk away from it with all the skills you need to at least get started. And then AFBU will be here to support you afterwards. So once you get that training done, we will be here. We will have meetings with you and your organizing committee, help map your workplace, help do all of the things that you need to do to get started organizing. That's fantastic. Um, 
It is. We're really excited about it. We've already had about 36 people sign up, which is huge. That's enormous. <laughs> that I, enormous. I, I, yeah, that's, oh my God, to try to get right? people to participate in anything these days is yes. so hard. Especially oh us. God. We're so busy and we're so tired. But right. you, know, but you care anxiety. about, maybe you can confirm or deny, but I feel like people who work in the food industry enjoy it. They just mm -hmm. want it to be better for them. Exactly. Like in terms of, we don't want to be exhausted at the end of every day. We don't want to have a big chunk of our paycheck go towards just getting to work, you know, like yeah. they, people want to stay in the food industry because I have found even as just a food tour guide that providing hospitality is kind of its own reward. Um, yeah. now you need a paycheck too. That's a nice reward, <laughs> but like hospitality feels good when you give it. It does. Yeah. Yes, it does. So the restaurant workers, the reason why they do all this stuff is so that they can continue to be restaurant workers, right? Mm -hmm. Like they like the industry. It's fun. The people in it are fun. The food is great. I mean, when you work in the food industry, the opportunity to eat amazing food is just everywhere. everywhere. And, mm -hmm. and the camaraderie is excellent. So it's like a great industry and the people in it, whether they're growers, makers, servers, you know, it doesn't matter. Everybody in it loves it. And so we mm -hmm. want to make it better for us because not only do we love it, but everybody else loves it too, right? Like they love exactly. what we do for them. Yeah. That's exactly right. We love it and we just want to make it better. You know, we don't want to quit. We want to organize. That's great slogan. Is that like <laughs> one of your slogans right there? Um, I think I saw it from Raise Up actually. I've learned a okay. lot through them. So they say, don't quit, organize. Oh, that's so, an right, awesome slogan. It, Especially with the staffing issues. I mean, owners are paying attention right. to that stuff too. They they are aware that this idea that people don't want to work is kind of BS. People just don't want to work themselves to death for mm -hmm. very little reward. Um, so that's exactly right. Yeah. Anything else um, on your agenda, yeah. Jennifer? Just one more thing. We have another workshop where this one is going to be a live training and conversation, I okay. believe, over Zoom. Okay. Um, and it's a it's October 25th. I don't have the exact time yet. We're still nailing down the details, but October 25th, and it's a Know Your Rights seminar hosted by Anna Pardo from the NC Justice Center Workers Rights Project. And this is going to be a conversation on your right to a safe and healthy workplace free of harassment and discrimination and your legal right to push back against unsafe practices at work. So they'll have lawyers also on the call who will be able to answer any specific questions that workers may have. And this particular one is not tailored specifically just to restaurant workers. It's gonna be open to anybody. Anybody that works can join this call. Um, we've invited the teachers and the bus drivers union who have also both been very supportive of our organization. So I hope they'll be attending and we're reaching out, working with the Teamsters and the AFL-CIO who are also going to contribute to this project and have been very supportive of us in general. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. You guys are doing such great stuff. And these are the three things we've touched on will include parking and transportation and one thing. The three things we've touched on just are so important, like mm -hmm. so incredibly important. And um, Agreed. I don't know if we mentioned, where are the training places for both of these events um, for the first one you mentioned? The where first one, um, it's going to be very much in the Asheville area. It's okay. probably going, we haven't, it's depending on how many people sign up. Okay. So it's either going to be at the Teamsters Hall or okay. at the IBEW Hall. Okay. But if we need a bigger location, then we're going to look into something else. But all of this information will be available on any of our social media sites, which we've changed all of our handles now to be the same, at AVLFBU. Okay. So you'll be able to sign up for the, the trainings there and get all of the specific details about where it is. Okay. And the, the second event happens online. The second one will be online. The only okay. thing to be determined is what time. It'll probably okay. be in the in the late afternoon. Okay. Yeah, that's a good time. 
Um, all right. Well, those are great things. Thanks for keeping us updated. Thanks for everything you do. And first of all, it's got, it's kind of like um, endless work um, <laughs> on top of your other work that you do. Um, but you're so dedicated and I really appreciate, personally, I appreciate what you do. And, you know, I'm going to go ahead and speak for the whole food industry and say right that on. we appreciate what you do. Yeah. And I'll speak for them as well and say, we appreciate them. We appreciate everybody who's been so supportive. Good. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of support from the eaters of this town. I, I can actually represent the eaters very well. <laughs> and they, they want workers to be paid well, to be comfortable. Yeah. For one thing, eaters are selfish people. We'll just admit that. We just want the restaurants to stay open and for <laughs> them to be successful. And they won't stay open if the workers aren't happy at work. Not not just treated well, but actually happy at work. Happy. So. Yeah. Happiness is it comes across in the food. It does. And mm -hmm. people sometimes forget that happiness is one of our guaranteed rights. Right on. <laughs> All right, Jennifer, one last thing. I always like to ask where people have been to eat uh, or have a co great cocktail they want to mention or a great cup of coffee. Like, have you been anywhere recently that you really want to throw a shout out to? Yes, actually, I would love to throw a shout out to Rowan Coffee. Um, they just passed their one-year anniversary over here on Broadway, and I'm just so proud of them. Um, their coffee is so good. Mm -hmm. They um, they know exactly what I want based on what time of day I come in. All right. Um, That's yeah. a good barista <laughs> skill for sure, it is, man. It's great. It's really great. Um, I have, I've been on a an espresso tonic kick lately, and All it's right. just tonic water. It's ice. I love to get it iced. Espresso and tonic water maybe a little squeeze of lemon. It's mind-blowingly good. Um, okay. They turned me on to it there and I was like, what? I don't know. That sounds weird, but mm -hmm. I'll try anything. Okay. So I tried it and I was like, what? What is happening here? And um, I just went over there on this week. I never go on the weekends, but I went this past weekend and had a waffle. Um, yeah, they do waffles on the weekend and they're I all vegan. I did not know that vegan mm -hmm. waffle like hot waffles from a waffle maker yeah yeah they make them they're always fancy you know i i they have all kinds of meat toppings on them and stuff and during the regular work week they have fresh baked local pastries mm -hmm. and they usually have at least two vegan options their banana bread is amazing okay and yeah so they're they're incredible my mind great is people, blown great coffee <laughs> This, this is a great recommendation. I also love Rowan. My mind is blown that they do waffles on the weekends. It's new to me. I'm going to have to go try that. I love waffles. Yeah. And I agree with you 100%. Rowan was a much needed addition to our downtown cafe scene because mm -hmm. um, for such a little hippie bohemian town, we actually have relatively few cafes in downtown. And True. uh some of them are so small, you can't really hang out. Like I, I, I go to Summit Coffee in the arcade all the time, but there's like three oh, yeah. chairs in there. So it's like really tiny. Um, but when I discovered Rowan, which is way on sort of like the, what would you call that? The far Northern edge yeah. of downtown proper next to the, basically next to the Masonic temple out there yes. on mm -hmm. Broadway. Yep. And I was like, what is that? And I walked up and I was like, this place is insanely cute for one thing right like the inside yeah. is just so nice and then the young baristas are very hip to like what's cooling the coffee world mm -hmm. and they do tend to do light and medium roasts i'm an old geezer so i like my dark roasts, but i, I love, but a medium roast is fine with me and and those light and medium roasts tend to have a more bright and citrusy flavor mm -hmm. and so i can imagine tonic water and a medium or or even even a light roast, I feel like would be even better in the tonic water. So that's that's great, great recommendation. Waffles on the weekends, amazing. The pastries are high quality, great pastries during the week. Nice yeah. people, great atmosphere. Wonderful, I love them. That's great. All right, Jennifer. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. You're doing so much. Um, I'm, I want you to come back on, on a regular basis and tell us what's going on. If you have exciting news, like even tomorrow, let me know. <laughs> and we'll have you right back on to give us any updates that you have with AFBU. Right on. Thanks for making this so fun. I'll oh, talk to you again soon. Yeah, sure thing, Jennifer. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.
everybody. It's me, Stu Helm, the food fan back here at Food Fan Headquarters. And I am joined right now by David Plyler, who is a wonderful person who has uh, organized a charity barbecue. And my friend Rick Crelia and I have had the extreme pleasure of being judges at this barbecue two years in a row. And it's quite an event. And the barbecue is great. And it's an amateur barbecue competition. And I just wanted to invite David on to come and tell us all about himself, the company he works for, which are sponsors of the barbecue, as far as I can tell. And David can correct me if I'm wrong on that. And then the barbecue itself, the charity organization. And hey, David, how's it going? It's good. Good. I appreciate you having us on. Sure thing, man. Glad to have you here. So tell us about yourself and what you do for a living and where you work. So I am... uh, um native to Asheville. I'm a, a real estate broker here in uh, Western North Carolina, um, born and raised in uh, North Asheville area and uh, work for uh, Luso Realty. I run a team of real estate agents, the Plyler team at Luso Realty. Uh, and that's who uh, hosts this uh, barbecue competition uh, for the last two years. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the short version of me. <laughs> okay. Well, um, so the barbecue competition is only a couple of years old. So me and yep. Rick have been there for every one. That's, that's right. That's right. I thought maybe this had been a grand old tradition for decades or so. Um, but tell, yeah. tell me about the organization that you raise money for and what sure. they do. And then we'll go from there to talk about the competition itself. Sure. Yeah. So we want, we started last year was the inaugural event. That was a, uh, obviously the first year that we'd had it. And it was just an idea that was kind of born. Um, we were looking, obviously we work in housing and as you know, we've uh, our area here, we've got, you know, um, uh, housing issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've also got issues with um, homeless folks and people that uh, need assistance. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to do something uh, as a as a um, company, as a group that focused on housing and also um, helped veterans. So th- those were our two goals: were veteran oriented and uh, some type of housing oriented. And we searched around, spoke with some uh, folks, uh, local charities, things like that. And we uh, ended up partnering with ABCCM at the Veteran Restoration Quarters. And so the Veterans Restoration Quarters, or BRQ, is uh, it's an old hotel. It's out off of uh, 70 in East Asheville. Um, and that is, they've basically turned that into uh, Veterans Assistance Housing. Um, the, I guess the main thing that impressed us with that is that they have got about a 80% rate of success in getting uh, veterans off the street uh, into vocational training and into permanent uh, housing um, where they can, you know, get, get the assistance they need to be self-sufficient. Uh, and like I said, they're, they're uh, about 80% of the folks that come through there um, are successful in doing that and don't come back. Um, that's amazing. I, that, yeah, that's a terrific a, success rate. Like, that's yep. kind it's of a, unheard it's a, of in a way. Yeah, it is. And, and I think it's, you know, they're, they're addressing issues that, um, uh, again, vocational training, they're helping people to be um, successful so they can self-sustain and, and work towards uh, a permanent, you know, housing. So they're not on the street and they're not in these uh, tumultuous situations. Um, I was born and raised here. I worked in, um, I worked EMS uh, years ago, <laughs> seems like another life ago. Um, okay. So I came into contact with uh, uh, folks on the street and situations that, uh, you know, were certainly not ideal. A lot of veterans, um, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with uh, mental health issues, substance abuse issues, all kinds of stuff. And I worked in law enforcement for about uh, 12 years uh, after that, uh, before I got into real estate. So um that's, you know, one of the main focuses that uh, I wanted to address is based on my experience and, and interacting with, with these folks, recognizing that there's a, there's a need there and the VRQ is, is helping to fill that. So, uh, terrific yeah, we wanted to be a part of, part of what they're doing. And David, this concept of taking old hotels and turning them into housing for people who are struggling to find housing is um, not new and it's kind of like being discussed a lot because Asheville does have, I think percentage-wise, a pretty high homeless population for such sure. a small city. And 
a lot of times it gets discussed and then it never gets implemented. And so the VRQ is um, implementing that. And sure. can you describe um, physically what the VRQ is like and how a yeah. hotel is converted into housing? Yeah, so they've got um, they've got a cafeteria there. They've got a, a main lobby area, um, you know, books, things like that. Um, there are laundry facilities on site. Um, the the hotel backs up to uh, the river down there, so there's some outdoor recreation areas. Um, there is housing on site. Um, you know, the the hotel rooms have been converted um, uh, to assist those folks out there. So, uh, you know, I think one issue in, in a lot of cities where they've organizations have discussed you know turning old hotels into things like this they either don't have the funding or there's no real structure or direction in a lot of those proposals i think so mm -hmm. you know you you kind of take people that need some assistance need a hand up uh need some you know like i said vocational training or just some you know uh counseling things like that but if you don't have all those things in place then you're just moving populations from one place to another and kind of kicking the can down the road and it's not giving a meaningful uh, direction to self-sustainability, uh, permanent housing and, and things like that. So this organization, um, I've been there, I've toured the facility, I've met with a lot of their, uh, their folks out there and they're, they're always looking, I'll throw this out there, they're always looking for volunteers to, to do food service uh, and, and things like that. So um, those opportunities are there, but uh, they, they've got a structure in place. They've got a program. It's, you know, demonstrably, sorry, <laughs> puppy just ran in front of the camera or a cat yeah, that, I couldn't that was tell. the cat that was um, the cat um, <laughs> but they so they've got those processes in place and it, it has been proven to be successful um cool. so i feel like we're we're helping to get these folks some type of conclusion rather than just you know kicking the can down the road for them 100 percent, man I, I agree with everything you just said about about when you try to deal with homelessness there's this sort of like thing of like let's just put them someplace else yeah. you know but you got to help people because sure. when when they don't have structure and infrastructure in their own lives like a house or a place to live sure. um that just oh that's so devastating that there's a lot of coming back to do from that sure. so it's great that the vrq has like infrastructure set up and it's not just like oh here's a place to go park your butt you yeah. know um so let's move on to talk about the barbecue itself so you came sure. up with this idea that you would raise money with a barbecue now yep. tell us more we uh we just kind of brainstormed it i've never uh i like barbecue so, uh -huh, you know, i figured that, david that, that box um but it was about uh, july of last year when we first got the idea and so from july to september um, it was held September 11th last year, which seemed pretty fitting, you know, given uh, who it's benefiting, mm -hmm. um, that we, we just, we sought sponsors. Uh, we had a, we've got a lot of great partnerships in the community with, you know, obviously in real estate, we work with a number of different like home inspectors, attorneys, lenders, uh, just a, a, a wide variety of different trades. And so we were able to, to secure a, a good number of sponsorships for it. And the way that the, the structure of it was set up is all the donations that came in for sponsorships, uh, for team registrations, um, the, the tickets to the event itself, all that went directly to uh, the VRQ. And mm -hmm. so any additional things like cost, um, you know, like the t-shirts the we have made, uh, trophies, uh, we, we catered the event with a barbecue restaurant because uh, you know, <laughs> I don't, if, if something happens with the amateur barbecue, I don't want anybody to, to sue me. So um, <laughs> we figured that was the, probably the safest uh, way to go about that. Uh, but so all that is cost and that doesn't come out of the donations that come in. Uh, we take care of that cost. You know, we absorb that in house um, and that's our contribution to it. Um, but so we, we raised uh, last year, our first year we did, uh, I think we raised about $8,500 if memories correct it went directly to it um and was a, a really good success and so we decided to make that an annual event um this year we did uh just over ten thousand two hundred that went directly to them so um that's great well worth it and yeah. we all got to uh we got to hang out listen to good music uh eat eat lots of uh lots of different barbecue and um it was a good time i agree it was a good and time we last had, of course, year 
great Go volunteer ahead. judges. We appreciate y'all coming. Oh, out. thank you, David. It's judging food is uh, both one of the greatest things and one of the most difficult and painful things that <laughs> we'll ever do. It was a lot of barbecue, even when you take just a few bites, it's oh, really yeah. up fast. And the barbecue was great. Like um, there, there was different categories, chicken, pork, ribs, uh, sides, and a lot of great stuff. And the judges were really fun. The panel of, I think, six or seven judges. Um, uh, we have, let's see, we had, we had five judges and, and Rick is our backup. So Rick is, had, yeah. Rick's yeah. kind of my sidekick. That's right. Yeah. Um, and the venue itself, it was a beautiful day for one thing yeah. this year uh and the venue itself was gorgeous and what is the name of that venue that's a ridgeview venue uh, and that is owned and ran by some of our friends and neighbors we actually uh, don't live far from there and they have just been incredible about you know hosting us there uh they they donate their their time their staff their facilities everything at no charge and they have just been a great great partner uh for us so we really appreciate that without the venue obviously we, we would we would struggle to to hold it and it'd be successful. I agree. Venue is important. And if you can be friendly with a venue that gives you a break because you're doing a charity right. event, then all the better. Yeah. And it benefits yeah. them because a lot of new people get to check out the venue and stuff. Um, David, it's a it's a really fun event. And so I'm guessing plans are to continue, do it again yeah. next year. Yep, that's uh, we've got that on our radar. We're gonna take a little breather because it's uh, it's a little more work than I think what you realize getting into it. But uh, it, you know, labor of love and well worth it. And uh, we'll start planning on that probably after the first of the year. But okay. uh, typically, we're we're shooting for uh, you know about mid September. Um, and uh, we had the first year we had five teams. This year we had. 10 register we had eight that actually were able to compete we had a couple that uh, had some things come up at the last minute but um words kind of getting out about it we had some folks there the first time that i'd ever met them um cool. and uh, they, they took home some trophies and uh, had a good time cool and david we got to wrap it up but i just want to mention a couple of more things one, you had one of the tallest trophies i've ever seen available <laughs> uh so who won the big trophy uh that was uh jerry milborn uh with milborn barbecue he was one of our new folks that you know just come into it this year the first time uh, okay. he was pulling a huge uh trailer smoker uh that i think he had custom made in texas okay um, so, i saw that uh, yeah he took the overall but we had we had a lot uh, i think every team left with some uh trophy we had a lot of uh really good competition and they all did they all did really well yeah, I agree. And um, if people want to compete, where should they go to read more? Um, so I would say keep an eye on, you can find uh, us on Facebook. Uh, you can find us on the web at uh, theplylerteam.com. Um, keep an eye on that, you know, get on our pages because, you know, contrary to popular belief, it's uh, not just real estate on there. We try and, and keep it interesting and, and with our content and things like this. So that's where we'll start putting announcements out and uh, get the word out when it's time for next year. But it's uh, theplylerteam.com. That's P-L-Y-L-E-R. Well, David, uh, I feel honored to be invited to this uh, two years in a row. I hope to be there again next year. The barbecue was great both years, but it's getting better. I have, you know, like things yeah. are getting better and more exciting. I sympathize. It's super difficult. A uh, lot of work to put together an event like that. So I commend you on that. Great job. Great team getting everything together and a wonderful cause. Yeah. And so, David, thank you so much for everything you do. And thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I appreciate you, man. Have a great day. Bye bye. Thanks. You too. Hey everybody, it's me, Stu Helm, the Food Fan, and I am here in Food Fan Headquarters, and I have a special guest today, somebody that works for an organization that I talk about a lot, that I have a dear spot in my heart for, and that I am currently doing a fundraiser for. We have Kara Arndt Irani from Mana Food Bank. Hey, Kara, how are you today? Hey, Stu, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. It's so great to see you. We were just saying that we hadn't seen each other from since 2020. Yeah. Yeah. The pandemic has been a little wild over here. So. Dang. <laughs> yeah. But it's been 
busy, busy at Mano Food Bank, like the pandemic on until right now seems like you're getting some big donations from some bigger donors. You've got a lot of work to do. Um, there's just a lot going on. So let's jump right in it. First of all, what is MANA and what do y'all do? Yeah, so MANA is the Feeding America Network Food Bank for Western North Carolina. And MANA serves 16 counties of Western North Carolina, including the Koala Boundary. And we work with an extensive partner network of nonprofits who do charitable food access work. Uh, we work with over 250 partners hosting free food distributions, uh, markets, doing meals. And basically our raison d'etre is to end hunger in Western North Carolina. That is our, our mission. That is our goal. And we are determined to do it. And we do it every single day of the year, moving over 45,000 pounds of food every day. Wow. That's a lot yeah, of pounds. That's a lot. Um, and I always tell my readers and social media followers that donating to MANA is the most effective way for the individual or the organization to support or to help to alleviate hunger and food insecurity in Western North Carolina. Because boy, howdy, when you look at the breakdown, you guys are very precise about where the money goes on your website and you, you basically tell how much food your donation gets to the people who need it. So can you, can you break that down kind of simple for us? Yeah, sure. So really the big thing here is every single dollar that comes to MANA can help provide four meals worth of food. And wow. the reason we can do that is because we get food donations from large retailers that we work with here locally, uh, also farmers, uh, all kinds of wonderful food donations. And because we have an incredible volunteer core who help make up almost 40% of the workforce that we need to be able to move the 45,000 pounds every single day. Uh, we also work with wholesale food companies, and so we can source food at much lower costs than you can purchase it at retail in the grocery store. So while it's awesome that we do food drives and all of that stuff, really our efficiency is in changing those dollars into meals through our magic of food sourcing and volunteer work well it, it's it is magic and i like the the hand gesture for those <laughs> yeah. who aren't seeing this on video there is a magical hand gesture that accompanied <laughs> the word magic um and so let's talk about like the three big things that are on the front page of your website which are find food donate and volunteer so let's start with find food if if i'm a person who needs to find food how do i go about that yeah, absolutely. Well, there are a lot of ways to get support in our area. Uh, 211, first of all, is a, a really great number to call if people are needing things because they help connect folks to food, but also housing and transportation and all of these other basic need pieces. But when they get calls for food, they send them to us. Okay. And our food finder is actually on our website is a map of all of those food partners that we work with across 16 counties of Western North Carolina. And uh, you can find a pantry or a meal provider right in your neighborhood. And we often point a lot of people to this map, not just for need, but also if you want to help out, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a, a pantry that's a couple blocks from your house, it's much easier to go and help them out knowing that you're probably helping out folks that are right there in your neighborhood with access to food. So yeah, we have that. We have our food helpline and um, lots of ways for people to access the resources that we work so hard to find and get out the door every single day. Well, that's wonderful because I know that one of the contributing factors to hunger and food insecurity in Western North Carolina is access because of the topography, the isolated communities, the giant massive food deserts that exist in this part of our state. Absolutely. Um, that accessibility is as much of an issue as affordability for some people. Um, yeah, and absolutely. So <laughs> that's wonderful that you guys have this food map. So people should go on your website, manafoodbank.org. Is that correct? Yep, that's it. And look for the food map. And so let's let's skip over donate and go straight to volunteer, and then we'll go back to donate. So how can people volunteer? How should they volunteer? 
Yeah, so we love to give people the whole perspective of what their volunteer efforts are going to look like right when they sign up. So the, the volunteer call to action on our website sends you to a scheduling tool, basically, where you can look and schedule a, sh a volunteer shift, uh, you know, Monday through Friday uh, from, you know, I, I think our shifts are 9 a.m. to noon and then 1 to 3 every single weekday. And what we start everybody out with is an orientation, a volunteer orientation. And it's a, you know, warehouse safety because we're a big warehouse. Uh, mm -hmm. We're not a, a pantry. Uh, when you come to Mana, it's a giant warehouse and it's mm -hmm. commercial vehicles and forklifts and pallet jacks and racks of food and pallets and all that stuff. And uh, so we give people warehouse safety tips. But really, one of the important pieces of this orientation is showing people what the need for food is in our region. Okay. And so, so that they really understand why it is that we're doing all of this work every day and why they might have to sort through some, you know, questionable produce every once in a while, <laughs> those dirty jobs, yeah. you know, they're a lot easier to do in stomach when you know that at the end of the day, the good produce is going to go into a family's uh, pantry or into their refrigerator. So and let me just tell you, as a person who has started my work career, sorting through vegetables at a supermarket as a stock boy, um, old, sorry, old fashioned term, a stock person. Um, I am very happy to hear that you have scheduled three hour shifts. Yes. I think that's crucial. Yeah. Like it's, it can be grueling work. You know, I've also worked in a warehouse and it so, is grueling. Uh, I think if you're volunteering, a three hour shift is very doable. Yes. Um, and we okay. have something for everyone. We have little kids volunteering. We have, you know, uh, seniors up until their hundreds volunteering here so we really do have a little something for everyone we try to make it as accessible for everyone as possible to be able to help all right that's the key word accessibility of food accessibility of volunteer opportunities because i know that a lot of people do want to volunteer they just don't know how or where or when or any of that so again manafoodbank.org click on the volunteer word right on the front page and let's move on to donate and I know there's a ton of ways to donate. I want to right now encourage people to donate through my Facebook fundraiser. I do one every year and um, I raise various amounts of money. It's usually successful. I usually set a goal and we hit it. I think uh, a couple of years ago, we exceeded it by quite a bit. So this year I got greedy, but not for myself, <laughs> Kara. I got greedy for Mana Food Bank and I set a $5,000 goal. That is amazing. So, a lot of money. I'm going to be contributing to it throughout the whole giving season. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be asking other people to contribute as well. But why don't you go ahead and tell people how the best way to contribute is through your website? Probably really simple. Sure. Yeah. A, a simple monetary donation. I mean, $5 can provide 20 meals. Okay. If you guys hit your fundraising goal, that will be 20,000 meals that we can help get out the door. So every dollar really does make a very big impact here for sure. Well, that's fantastic. And that's part of the reason I always raise money for mana. I am an eater. So I am living on the I'm sitting on the throne of privilege over here, eating the best food in the world, having to be careful, I don't eat too much. Like that's my major problem in life. And so I kind of have a an opposite problem of some of the people in this. Uh, and I feel very privileged to have that problem. And so I always want to raise money for mana. Uh, sort of balance me out when I get to the pearly gates they'll be like well you were kind of gluttonous Stu and it says right here not to do that and I was like yes but I raised a lot of money for mana That's and right. so um, I think it's a great and, and again I, I choose mana for that reason but also because of the bang for the buck and it doesn't get much better than what you guys do um, all right Kara we're about to do something new and I've already done it once with one of my other guests. And I did it with Sarah the Waxlerette. And it's called Food Trivia for Mana. So it's for Mana. You work for Mana, but you volunteered to do food trivia with me. And there's dollar bills on the line. You and oh, yeah. I are playing for real money here. I'm ready. 
So I've got five trivia questions. I'm ready for you for to you. pony up. That's what oh, I'm Oh, <laughs> listen to the self-confidence here, folks. Um, so I've got five questions for you. They're worth different amounts of money. If you get the questions right, I will donate money. You get them wrong, you will donate money. There's a grand total of $60 on the line here, All Kara. Right. All right, here we go. Now, as we said, um, MANA is concerned with bringing nutritious food to people, like not just junk food, not just garbage, just nutritious food. So with that in mind, all five of these questions are about candy. Okay. Yeah, something I'm sure you don't deliver boxes of to people, but it's the Halloween season. We don't police food. We, yeah, we, yeah. everybody needs a birthday cake and a break every once in a while. So yeah. I love it. All <laughs> right. So we're doing five questions about candy because it's the Halloween season. All my trivia is going to be about uh, Halloween-y type stuff for the whole month of October. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> All right. Question number one. In 1976, the first eight Jelly Belly flavors were released. Can you name four of them? You have eight guesses. And for each correct answer, I will donate $5 to Mana. So you have eight guesses to get four. But if you guess all eight, I'm going to pony up $40. Go ahead. Oh, Lord. Jelly Bellies. <laughs> okay, let's see. The 70s. What were the popular flavors then? I'm going to go with... Cherry? You got one correct. All right. Uh, let's see. Lemon? Oh, that's two. This is costing me money. Yes. Um, all right. Let's see here. What else? Green apple? Oh, my God. That's three. You got okay. both words. I would have accepted apple, but you said I green just apple. had a green apple this morning, so that was very fortuitous. Fortuitous, um, if you will. <laughs> this is why I love you, Stu. <laughs> oh, okay. Let's see here. You have five more guesses. Um, uh, let's see. Jelly bellies. I mean, like all the weird ones came later, right? So uh, strawberry? No. Okay. You're halfway through your guesses. Okay. Oh. Blueberry? No. Yeah, I know that. I knew that one was wrong right as soon as I said it. Right. Let's see. I'm going to go with licorice? Yes. Ah. All right. You've achieved the minimum four correct answers. Would you like to go on and keep guessing and try to squeeze more money out of this guy, risking your own dollar bills in the process? Absolutely not. Let's move on to the next question. I like to take my take my winnings when I get it. All right. <laughs> I got to follow you next time I go to Vegas. That's exactly All right. right. Stick with me, kid. <laughs> Here, here's your next one. All right. We all know the red, green, and yellow M&M characters from TV. And Mars Candy has recently introduced the first new M&M character in more than a decade, the purple M&M, which is designed to represent acceptance and inclusivity. But which of the following has never been one of the M&M's characters? So I'm going to list some characters. All but one were M&M's characters. Name the one that wasn't. All right, here we go. Ms. Brown, the Swarmies, Bebop Arborman, or Pretzel Guy? Which of those was not an Eminem's character? I can repeat them if you'd like. Yeah, please do. <laughs> okay, we have Ms. Brown, MS period, Ms. Brown, the Swarmies, S-W-A-R-M-E-E-S, Bebop Arborman, and Pretzel Guy. Which one was never <laughs> those, an Eminem's character? Those two in the middle sound so ridiculous. They have to be true, right? This is like very much like, wait, wait, don't tell me. I feel like I have to like deconstruct these. I'm going to go with Ms. Brown. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> Ms. Brown it. was a character that was a brown Eminem. And her whole mission was to say, I'm not naked. I'm wearing a brown outfit. I don't know <laughs> what that was all about. Um, and the one who was not an M&M's character was Bebop Arborman, mm. who played drums for the California Raisins. <laughs> he was a raisin, Dang not it. an M&M. 
<laughs> I knew I had heard that before. I had all the California Raisin characters. You had all their okay. records, didn't you? I should have known. I should have known. Uh, Sorry, Bebop. <laughs> all right. Here's question number three. All Consumers right. are expected to spend $3.1 billion on Halloween candy nationwide this year. It's a crazy amount Jeez. of money on sugar and uh, coloring. Um, <laughs> what is the most popular candy for Halloween in America? Is it Reese's Cups, Skittles, M&M's, Starburst, or Hot Tamales? What is the most popular candy for Halloween in America? I can repeat those if you'd like. I think I'm going to go with Reese's Cups. You got it right. That is correct. And what is crazy about the, that list is those are the top five in order. So Hot Tamales, the fifth most popular Halloween candy. Snickers was like number eight. Like, go figure. What? Tamales must be cheap. That's all I'm they saying. Must be. Yeah. Popular um, with the per purchasers, maybe not yes, the kids. Yes, yes. <laughs> I've purchased bags of Halloween candy. It, you need to invest in that stuff. It's, it ain't cheap. All right. Here's question number four for you, Kara. A team of engineering students from Purdue University invented a licking machine modeled after the human tongue, which took an average of 364 licks to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop. Then 20 of the team's volunteers took the licking challenge themselves unassisted by machinery. How many licks did these human lickers average in reaching the center of a Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop? Was it A, 252, B, 364, the exact same number as the machine, or C, 473? So essentially, did it take more less or the exact number as the machine for the human beings to reach the center. I'm going to go with A, fewer. You are so good at this game. O almost a hundred, over a hundred fewer licks. I'm going to say that's all about motivation. Like yeah. the machine has no real motivation to get right. to the center <laughs> of the Tootsie Roll Tootsie Pop. <laughs> And I should tell you, the answers to this question online varied from anywhere to a thousand, like an even thousand. Like you got to try to hit something like right on the thousand click and be like, I got it um, to like a really low number. Oh, the, the traditional one is three, two licks and a bite. Yeah. All right, Kara, oh, you're doing man. great. You're oh, soaking me you. dry. I'm this not going to have great. any money for rent so at the end great. of the month. Um, I'll okay. You. I'll oh, you thank meal. Okay. Oh, thanks. I know that costs you exactly a dollar, right? <laughs> um, okay. Final question. It's a simple question, but don't let the simplicity deceive you. Okay. Are there any peanuts in circus peanuts? Are there any peanuts in circus peanuts? I don't think so. No. No. Answer yeah. is no. Of course yeah. not. There's no food in circus peanuts. Yeah, there's it's all chemical. <laughs> the ingredients. I've eaten in, those before. Oh, me too. There are definitely no, no peanuts. No peanuts at all. Um, they're made from a mixture of things that include sugar, pork gelatin, corn syrup, and soy protein. And I just love it that something with soy protein is also not vegetarian because it has pork gelatin. <laughs> like, come on, circus peanut industry. Wow. Really missing out on a big vegan market for your product yeah. there. Bonus question, Kara. There's no money on the line for this one. What flavor are the original circus peanuts supposed to be? Supposed to be. Supposed to be. There's a clue. <laughs> oh, I think they're supposed to be caramel. Is it That's caramel? as good a guess as any. They're supposed to be banana. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah. I never got that in any of my samplings of circus peanuts. <laughs> oh, me neither. Like that, I've been eating them since I was a little kid, not on a regular basis, but I've been right. eating them since I was a little boy. Not once would I have guessed, not, not in a million years. That no, it was banana. not even that terrible fake banana flavor that's no. in other candies. <laughs> right. I was reading about them online in preparation for the show. And um, on a Reddit page, somebody was like, what's up with these circus peanuts? They taste like rotten bananas. And I was like, you are a super taster, my friend. Wow. You nailed it. Rotten wow. bananas. <laughs> okay. Some candy company needs to hire that guy. <laughs> 
Um, yes, exactly. All right, Kara. Well, you did really great. You soaked me for 70 bucks. Uh, or no, I'll have to do the math. It's not yeah, exactly 70. It's not exactly. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you the math. Uh, it's you, you killed me. You got some <laughs> wrong. So you're going to end up paying some money over to Mana, but you really crushed it. You Dang did. especially you, Miss Peanut, Mrs. Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Ms. Brown to you. Ms. Brown, um, Brown. Yeah, and she was voiced by somebody famous, not um, not Pam Greer, but some other fame. Like all the M and M's characters are voiced by famous people, like, like John Lovitz and people like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. All right, Kara. Well, I'll let you go. I know you yeah. got things to do, important things to do. But I really appreciate <laughs> you coming on the show. Yeah. Thank One you. last shout out. Why don't you say the web address for Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you again for having me and everything that you do for Manos do. Truly, it is just wonderful. Uh, and you can find all the information you want about Mana at manafoodbank.org. And that's two N's in Mana. Oh, that reminds me. I learned something today. Mountain Area Nutritional Needs Alliance. That's right. I yeah. never knew that that's what MANA stood for. Yeah. Brilliant acronym, isn't it? It's great. Yeah. I just assumed it was the word MANA. Yeah, you know? right. I know. And There's so, some, some, some real thought went into that back in the day. Good job. <laughs> and I, I dug that up by doing some heavy research. It's right at the top of your About Us page. Um, <laughs> So, all right. Once again, Kara, thank you so much for being on. We thank appreciate you, you and you thank have a wonderful you. day. Thanks, Stu. You too. This episode of the Food Fans Radio Show was underwritten in part by Asheville Food Tours. Did you know that there are over 200 places to eat and drink in downtown Asheville alone? It can be overwhelming. Whether you're a visitor or a local, there's no better way to experience downtown Asheville than taking a food tour with Asheville Food Tours. Details, pricing, and an easy-to-use calendar can be found at AshevilleFoodTours.com. That's AshevilleFoodTours.com.